Maybe that's what Jesus thought about. Well, all right, everyone cut down a tree and bring it in your house, and that really tells the world about me. Did you ever think that? Now, nothing wrong with it. But did you ever say, why do we go sit on a jolly man's lap in a red suit and tell him what we want? What does that have to do with Jesus? Anybody ever thought that? Just if you've ever thought that. All right, don't be ashamed. Okay, everybody on the back row, y'all are truthful. And everybody sitting up here where people can see you. My message next week is about uh, lies. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But you know, I've always wondered, what does hanging stockings by the fireplace have to do with baby Jesus? And so I've always been a researcher. Uh, I used to get in trouble in school for asking too many questions. And the teacher would say, would you just be quiet so I can teach? So I've always asked the questions and wanted to see the background on why we do what we do. So this morning, I don't want you to think it's a bah humbug message or a Scrooge message. Because there's some people that will go that route. All I want is for you to be informed and know why we do what we do. So like I said, the purpose of this message today is to give you information because the Holy Spirit cannot work with information you don't have. You ever thought about that? If you don't know something, the Holy Spirit can't work with a lack of information. Now some of you are going to say, well, preacher, I just want a normal message. That's the whole problem with the church today. Everyone wants just a normal message so we can go home and turn on football and not worry about the state of the world. Ain't that the truth? Want a normal message... Let me get in my recliner, let me eat my dinner, and things are fine. Well, I'm sorry, guys, I don't have a normal message today. Matter of fact, I don't know if I've ever preached a normal message because I don't serve a normal God. I serve a most holy God who is so passionate and righteous about your life and you living in the kingdom that He doesn't want you to be normal. Matter of fact, what He wants us to do is establish a new normal where people say, they don't say you're weird, they say... Actually, you're normal. Maybe it's the rest of the society is weird, and we're just doing it the right way. So there are three reasons today why this information is going to be beneficial about the background of Christmas. Number one is you'll be able to use this as a witnessing tool. I hope that today, after you're informed, you can go to work, and you can uh, talk to somebody, and they talk about, man, we're going to cut down the tree. And you can say, do you know why we cut down trees? And you can actually tell them why. They've probably never in their life understood it. And then you can really share what the true meaning of Christmas is through that. Secondly, you'll be able to properly educate your children or your grandchildren. If you've got young people here today, my goal is is that if you're a parent, you will be able to really know how to teach your children about Christmas. And thirdly, you personally will know how to properly celebrate the meaning of Christmas. I want to start out in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. If you'll turn there. If you don't have your Bibles, this verse is printed in your notes. Romans chapter 12. And I'm going to be reading verse 2. And the Word of God says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove... What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? Will everyone say this morning, conformed? 
All right, underline that either in your Bible or in your notes. To be conformed is from the Greek word suschemated, where we get our word scheme. You see, when you had to conform to something, it means that there was a scheme behind it to pull the veil over your eyes. So now your translation may actually say, do not be conformed to the schemes of this world. So the Greek word in the Bible for conform is actually from the root word for scheme. It means don't follow the scheme of the world. But then say, well, everyone say transformed. Now, if I was at a Methodist church or a Lutheran church, I may be happy with that. But this is a Baptist church. By George, when we talk about Scripture, let's do it like we mean it. I want you to say transformed. Transformed. If you're a Methodist today, I'm sorry, okay? (laughs) Um, But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, underline that word transformed in your Bible or in your notes. That means to no longer follow the scheme, but now you're knowledgeable about the scheme. Once you have given information that educates you, you no longer have an excuse for following the scheme. So this morning, my prayer is that you'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want to start off with some some statistics about American Christianity. Did you know that 36% of all Americans say they attend church? I mean, let's think about it. There's, let's say, 400 million people in America. 36% of that say they attend church. Well, a lot of people that say they attend church don't necessarily attend. But I think that's, that's a good start. I mean, 36%. But listen to this. Almost half of all Southerners attend church. Amen, down in the South. We know what's good for you. Mashed taters, sweet tea, and church. That's the three pillars of Southern Christianity. Now, this is pretty interesting. 38% of Democrats attend church, and 47% of Republicans attend church. That's all I'm going to say, okay? I'm going to leave it right there. (laughs) If you ain't mad at me yet, don't worry, I'll get to it. 38% of Catholics attend regularly. And 52% of Baptists attend regularly. Can I get an amen on that? Out of all denominations in the United States, when you look at Catholic, all Protestant denominations, Catholics have the highest percentage of church attendance. And it says 52%. I've always heard that if you've got 200 on a church roll, you will average half of your church roll for Sunday mornings. Now, friendship actually averages a lot more percentage than that. But the reason is because the other 48% of Baptists aren't attending. That, that explains it out for us. But what about back to that 36%? Love Jesus Christ enough to say they attend church. Think about something on the opposite side of the spectrum. 36% say they love Jesus that much. 96% of America celebrates Christmas. So that leaves 60-some-odd percent of people celebrating the birth of Jesus that don't even love Him enough to go to church. So my question is today, why is the world celebrating the birth of our Savior, 
but they won't even come to his house. I'm going to look for my soapbox this morning, but I've got information to give today. Maybe the reason is because they don't even know what they're celebrating. But we know. So this morning, uh, I've always think, you know, 96% of Americans celebrate Christmas. Mom always said, well, if everyone jumped off a bridge, would you would too? Well, it depends what they're jumping from. If a wolverine's chasing me, maybe so. <laughs> but just because everyone else is doing it doesn't mean that we should be doing the same thing. You know what your teenager told you when they cut holes in them brand new jeans you bought them? They said, everybody's doing it. I was about third grade. My mama bought me a brand new pair of jeans, and I got to school, and I took scissors and cut holes all in my knees. My hind end got towed up when I got home. All right? Amen. Thank you for the whoopings. But I was like, Mama, everybody's doing it. I don't care what everybody's doing. I bought you some jeans. Now you're going to give me that allowance and pay for you a new set of jeans. Just because everyone else is doing it is not a valid reason for us to do it. So in your notes, you've probably already got a glimpse of what this message is about. We're going to be talking about the history of the celebration is what we call Christmas. Now, when we look through the Bible, we found no record of the apostles or the disciples celebrating the birth of Jesus. And especially, they didn't celebrate it in December. Now, let me go ahead and burst your bubble to tell you this. Jesus was not born on December 25th. Matter of fact, the first recorded observances of Jesus' birth were in May. This was in 200 A.D. In May was when they celebrated the birth of Jesus. And it was based upon the scriptures, which we're going to look at in a few weeks, of when do we actually think Jesus was born. But December 25th, as we'll see, was not the time Jesus was actually born. It was simply a time of big celebration. What I want to first do is I want to talk about the cultural capital of the world, which was Rome. Back 2,000 years ago, Rome was like New York City. Everybody went to Rome uh, all roads led there. They, they were the uh, epitome of what was going on in culture, in fashion, in politics, and in theology or philosophy, all of that. So let's talk about Rome for a minute. I want you to look in your notes. There was a feast called Saturnalia. And your first bullet point, the feast of Saturnalia was established on December 25th. In your notes, to be observed by Julius Caesar, and that started in 46 B.C. All right, so 2,000 years ago, they were celebrating the Roman god known as Saturnalia, which is where we actually get our day, Saturday. That came from Roman culture. It was Saturn's day. So that's where we get the word Saturday. All right, now, if I remember this correctly, Saturn was the son of Uranus or Uranus and the father of Jupiter. So you're always wondering where did our planets get named from? Roman gods were why our planets became named because they were visible with the naked eye. So they could see Saturn. They said, well, that must be the god Saturn. And that must be his father Uranus. And that must be his father or son Jupiter. Isn't it funny how these things 2,000 years ago still influence our culture today? So when we enjoy Saturday, 2,000 years ago, they were enjoying Saturn's day and celebrating their god called Saturn. 
but it became to be known as the Feast of Saturnalia. And what they would do for the Feast of Saturnalia in Rome is it was the most festive time of the year. Think about our modern carols. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Well, it was in Rome 2,000 years ago already. Because they were, your second point, they were giving gifts to celebrate the Feast of Saturnalia. Yay, it's Saturnalia. Let's give each other presents. It had nothing to do with Jesus back then. They were just celebrating in their culture the gods they were worshiping and giving each other presents. Wasn't that nice of the Romans? How happy. They were giving of gifts, and they also, the children had time off school. It doesn't matter what religion you are in America, you love Christmas because you get off school. <laughs> That's what most kids are looking forward to. Man, when we start in August or September, we're counting the days till Christmas break. It's like mini summer because you get to play with all your toys, because you get to uh, go sledding or build snowman or throw snowballs at the grumpy old man next door. Just all kind of things that you could do on winter break. But the children had time off school. Now, what about the slaves? We were in a society of uh, servitude. The slaves got a break from work. So they were, the slaves were getting a break from work during the time of Saturnalia. And most businesses, even today, you may feel like a slave, but you get time off work for religious observances. Now, here's what was pretty interesting to me. During the Feast of Saturnalia, they have, there were people buying at special markets. Uh, we can already see back then that the merchants were capitalizing on capitalism. Now, y'all have always heard what's the busiest uh, 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 shopping day of the year. Everybody hears Black Friday, right? There's only a problem with that. It's normally the women that go out on the Black Friday. The husbands wait till Christmas Eve. So actually, the busiest shopping day of the year is not Black Friday, according to the research I looked at. It's normally someday one week before Christmas, depending on everyone's work schedule. It's when all the men and the boyfriends are rushing to the store. And I used to do this. I would, my dad, and he's not here this morning, so I can talk about him. My dad would give me like $100 and say, go to Upton's. Do you all remember Upton's in Charlotte? Go to Upton's and buy mom some outfits. And every Christmas, about a week before, I was going to Upton's and buying my mom some outfits. And uh, for my wife, I'm going to give my uh, secrets away. A lot of times I would go to Belk's, and it would be my one-stop shop. I mean, I love department stores, you know what I mean? <laughs> Everyone else talking about shopping all year, I'd go to Belk's, bam, I'm home. My gift-giving's done, I got everything for everybody. But they were buying at special markets that were set up for the Feast of Saturnalia. And if we look at Christmas today, it becomes one of the biggest uh, commercial industries of the year. Everyone's buy, 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 sell, sell, sell. And we start forgetting a little bit about Jesus. They were also, this was really interesting, they were celebrating the birth of a, a god called Mithra. So even before the birth of Jesus was being celebrated, they were celebrating the birth of Mithra, who was uh, born from the god of the sun. Now here's another interesting point. Maybe if you're into history and stuff, you like this kind of stuff. All right, Mithra's father was called uh, Solus Victus. 
And where we get our term Sunday was because in Roman time they had Dies Solus, the day of the sun. So the seventh day of the week was when they worshipped the sun, Dies Solus. So Dies Solus became Sunday. And that's why we now have Sunday. But I've seen a lot of Christians that spell it out S-O-N, of the Son of God. It's a day we now worship. So back then on December 25th, they were celebrating the birth of Mithra. And the official god of the sun was Solus uh, Invictus, and they celebrated that on December 25th. So that's all about Rome. I'm glad to get out of Rome. Uh, let's go now to the German people. Let's look at point number two. Germanic people celebrated what they call the Yule. All right, And this also coincided with the winter solstice. All right, The winter solstice was the longest uh, day of the year in the winter, and the Germanic people... We're celebrating the Yule somewhere about in latter December, December 25th. A lot of times their celebration fell. Now guess how long they celebrated the Yule for? Can anybody guess? Twelve days. All right, you wonder that song, the 12 days of Christmas? Where do we get 12 days of Christmas from? It was because of the Germanic people who celebrated the Yule for 12 days. They had all kinds of celebrations. For one, they celebrated the Yule log. What was the Yule log? They brought the largest log of the year into the house for warmth. And I even read some accounts where they would bring almost a whole tree, and they would drag the whole tree into the house, and they would stick the stump of the tree into the fireplace. That'd be interesting. You had a whole tree sticking out your front door, and the stump was in the fireplace, and they would, as it burnt down, they would move the tree into the fireplace. And it was really one of the reasons, well, because it was really cold, but also because of the celebration of Yule, they wanted the largest tree of the year to give them warmth for the longest amount of time possible. So that's where we gear that we get the lighting of the Yule log is from the people in Germany celebrating Yule. And they also uh, did what they called Yule singing, which was known as wassailing. Has anybody ever heard of wassailing? All right, what, what is wassail? Do you all know? It, it's like apple cider, okay? Now, here's why they called it wassailing. Because in Germany, it was really cold during this time, and they didn't have any fruit from the trees. So they would get together, and for their celebration, they would go around singing to the apple trees because they thought it would make the apple trees happy, and happier apple trees would produce more fruit in the spring. So, you know, a lot of times we go Christmas caroling. The people in Germany were like, let's go wassailing. And they would go around to the apple orchards and sing to the trees because it was connected with their, their pagan deities of springtime and stuff like that. And they thought the happy trees made more fruit. That's where we get wassailing from. And then what it uh, transferred to would be caroling where people would go house to house uh, singing for figgy pudding or... Uh, apple cider or whatever they could get. So if you were a peasant during this time, you would go sing at people's house because you didn't have food, and you'd sing them a song till they gave you something to eat. And even bands of young men, you know in the song, uh, we won't go until we get some, they would, come, they would sing outside your house until you brought them something. So if you were trying to sleep, these ten young men would sing really loudly until you gave them something to eat. So it became a festive time of the year, too. 
And so there was the Yule log, the Yule scene, and then also the Yule ham. Uh, and most people know on Thanksgiving you eat turkey, but Christmas time it becomes popular to eat the Christmas ham. Well, the Germanic people, uh, in one of their, in their religion, they had the god known as Freyr, who was associated with boars or pigs. So during the Christmas time, they ate ham. Um, so that's all about the Germanic people. But what about Yule? And here's where I want to go. And I know some of you are like, well, I really don't care about all this stuff. But here's why we should care. Because even the church has things like Christmas parties. And I know even when I was young, the, the uh, pastor would dress up like Santa Claus. And everyone, oh, that's so nice of the pastor. Yay, Santa Claus and give gifts and stuff. But where did that come from? I'm about to tell you. All right, so Yule, and this is point number three, Yule was a celebration of Odin. And Odin was the Norse god of war or magic. You ever wondered how the uh, uh, belief of Santa Claus coming down the chimney was, was magical? It was because the Norse god Odin was a god of magic. He could pop down the chimney easily. And Odin rode an eight-legged horse. So what do we think of Santa Claus now? We think of Santa Claus riding eight reindeer. It's because the god Odin rode an eight-legged horse through the sky. And he did that on a yearly Yule hunting party in the sky. So every December during the time of Yule, the god of war Odin would ride his magical horse through the sky on a hunting party. Now Odin was known for having a long white beard. And what the children would do is they would leave food near the fireplace. So as Odin came by on his horse, his horse would have something to eat at the fireplace. Now, I know I've always uh, knew people growing up that left cookies out for Santa Claus. Where did that tradition come from, leaving food out? It's because the children would leave food out for Odin's horse to eat. Now, here's, here's the kicker. If the children were good that year, Odin would replace the food they left with gifts. So fast forward to America in the, 19, or the 20 or 21st century, and now we have all these celebrations dated back to Rome, to Germanic people, and to the god of war and magic that now dictate our understanding of the birth of Jesus Christ. Doesn't that leave us scratching our head a little bit? That what German people thought about for their god of war morphed into um, our understanding of a, an old famous saint of Saint Nick. Now one of the messages I'll preach a part of this series, if you see on your schedule, is about the real Saint Nick and who he was. He's a lot different than what most people think he was. But what I've just done is I've taken away the scheme, okay? By showing what the world celebrates and we now understand it, we can say, oh, so that's where all that stuff came from. None of it came from Scripture. None of it came from Jesus. And I'm not sitting here trying to tell you it's bad stuff because I want to do this. I want to look at 1 Corinthians 9. Turn to 1 Corinthians 9. 
We're going to be looking at verse 22. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. To the weak I became as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now I do this for the gospel's sake that I may be partaker of it with you. What Apostle Paul was saying, when he was ministering to a Jew, he became like a Jew. When he was ministering to a Gentile, he became like a Gentile. When in Rome, he became like the Romans. He would always become like the people he was around in order to reach them properly. So what I'm doing today, I'm not saying that all this stuff you need to go home and become an Amish and turn off a, a, a Christmas carol or It's a Wonderful Life and, and read your Bible. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, based on Scripture, Paul said we can use all things to appropriately reach people. So by understanding what the culture does, the question the church must now ask is how can we now use the culture to reach the culture? If everyone else is, you know, uh, uh, giving gifts, then how can Christians go above and beyond to truly show the love of Christ in the way we celebrate? I remember the story of a young man who was, uh, he, he was not a Christian at this time and he was delivering pizzas. And he knew of this one lady's house who was like this really kind of a hardcore Christian um, and he delivered a pizza to her house. And what he said is if the change was, you know, sometimes like, uh, let's say $9.30. He would fumble around in his pocket, and a lot of times people say, oh, don't worry about it, keep the change. So he delivered a pizza to this lady who was a Christian. And it was like $9.30, so he's fumbling around for change, and he was you know, waiting for the Christian lady to say, don't worry about it, keep the change. You know, that's your tip. But he waited there, and the Christian lady didn't say anything. So he kept trying to find change and, and counted it out. And then he, he counted all the change to give to the Christian lady. And he gave it to her, and she didn't give him any tip. And then he went to this one man's house that was having a party. And all these people were over there, and maybe they were having drinks, I don't know. But he, he delivered several pizzas, and the bill was like $12. And the man gave him a 20. Now, he could tell this guy probably had language like a sailor and uh, uh, was just, you know, living it up that holiday season. So he delivered them their pizza, and it was like $12. So the man gave him a 20. And he was fumbling around, and, and, he was, and, and the man said, just keep the change. $8 tip. Now he says, as I walked away that day, who did I want to be like? Did I want to be like the Christian lady that demanded every last cent? Or did I want to be like the worldly person that was a giver? What we must ask ourselves is, when young people look at the world... What image are they seeing that they want to be like? Are they wanting to be like the church, which, uh, you know, doesn't invite people or which comes in and, and stays closed, closed off to society? Or are they wanting to be like the gang down the street, which is recruiting people? And what we must say is, as the church, how can we take this information and appropriately reach our society? So over the next several weeks, as I teach this message, Redeeming Christmas, that's the thrust of my purpose, is how can we use society and culture to appropriately show 
the love of Jesus Christ. And the right reason is to share Jesus with those who don't know Him. That's what everything is about. It doesn't matter if it's presents or Santa or trees or lights. It should be to share the love of Jesus to people who don't know Him. I'm going to ask our musicians to come. And this morning, here's what I want you to do. On an individual level, I want you not to be conformed to the schemes of this world because the world may have told you that the answer in your life was alcohol or maybe the answer in your life was a certain job or maybe the answer was a relationship. But all these things have left you empty. But if anything today, I want you to be transformed by the knowledge that Jesus Christ can set you free. And Jesus Christ can bring peace. And Jesus Christ can bring knowledge of eternal life. I'm going to ask that every head would be bowed and every eye would be closed for a moment.